All right, our speaker this morning is Charlie Duke, who is, uh, was an astronaut. Apollo 16, he's walked on the moon, uh, navigated the moon car, the moon buggy. That's how the world knows who's Charlie, and he's, of course, known all over the world. There have not many men that have done this. We have the very special privilege of knowing Charlie on a personal level. He's been coming to high ground how long? 15, 20 years, uh, faithfully coming, speak to us sometimes, but even if he's not speaking, he's here. So we've gotten to know Charlie on a personal level, and I can tell you he is a strong man of faith, strong proponent of Jesus Christ. Now, once you've accomplished what he's accomplished, that opens a lot of doors. You know, you're welcome to speak all over the world, and he does, but... Charlie uses those opportunities, those open doors, to spread the word of Jesus Christ. And also, since we know him personally, I can tell you, it's not just he goes and talks to presidents, kings, world leaders. He uh, spreads the word to everybody, including helping a homeless man try to get back on his feet that he just saw on the street. So he is not a respecter of persons, but he has a true love of Jesus Christ. So Charlie, come up and give us a good word. Thank you very much, everybody. It's great to be back. Great to see old friends, make new friends. And uh, I understand we got a real first-timer. It's a lot of first-timers this year. So uh, uh, welcome to this. Hope you can continue to come and uh, share this fellowship, this wonderful fellowship that we all have. Before I start, there was a uh, story that I wanted to tell about uh, Danny Reeves. Uh, tells, he, Danny Reeves tells this story. He's a cowboy and coach and player. And he tells a story about uh, this uh, grandmother with her granddaughter in church. And the preacher is preaching on and on and on and on and on and on. And he's just going on and on and on and on. And the little girl starts to squirm a little bit, and, uh, and she lo- noticed behind the preacher there was a big American flag up there. And, uh, and so she leans over and whispers to her, Grandmama, Grandmama, what's the flag for? She said, oh, that's to honor those who died in the service. She said, is that in the 830 or the 1030? <laughs> Well, we've had some good teaching up here this, uh, uh, this week in our higher ground. Learn how to uh, get quiet and spend time with God. Learn how to stand firm last night. Discussing, discern how we to hear the voice of God. And um, it shares uh, just, uh, just a lot of good teaching for me. And so hopefully I can, by sharing my testimony... Since there's a lot of new people here, I want to share, basically just share my testimony of what God's done in my life. I went to the Naval Academy. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina, a small town, Lancaster. And I went to the Naval Academy, and when I got into the Naval Academy, I fell in love with airplanes. And back then, there was no Air Force Academy. And so you could volunteer to go to the Air Force or volunteer to go to the Naval Aviation. And so I wanted to do... 
I didn't know which one, so I was trying to balance this all out. But the doctor made the decision for me. He said, when my senior year, we called it first class year, he said, Mitch uh, <clears throat> and Duke, uh, we've discovered a stigmatism in your right eye, and you don't qualify for naval aviation, but the Air Force will take you. So uh, <laughs> I went in the Air Force. Uh, now that's 60, let's see, 1957, uh, so it's uh, 63 years ago this coming June. So the rules have changed, uh, so they got the same medicals now in Navy and Air Force. So anyway, I went in the Air Force. I became a fighter pilot uh, in 1961. I was in Germany. Uh, is a, had, had a great job at 526 Fighter Interceptor Squadron, sitting alert, and uh, Alan Shepard went up. He, was fo- he, was, he followed Yuri Gagarin, the Russian. Uh, both flew in April. Uh, no, Allen was May of 1961. Several weeks after that, President Kennedy announced the Apollo program. We're going to go to the moon. We're going to land on the moon. We're going to return safely by the end of 1969. And it was hoo-ha. Yeah, we had 15 minutes in space, guys. Uh, the younger ones that here don't remember all of this. And that was Alan Shepard's 15 minutes. And so... The amazing thing about it, we did it. Eight years and two months later, I'm sitting in mission control talking to Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin when they landed on the moon. Now, that was an amazing event in human history. In 1962, the Air Force sent me back to school to MIT to get a master's degree in uh, uh, aeronautics and astronautics. And while I was there, I was doing my thesis on the Apollo Guidance and Navigation System, which MIT had the contract to build. And uh, while I was doing this, they, I met a lot of astronauts who were up there to see how this thing was going to work. And, uh, and I'd never met so many motivated guys in my life. They were really charged up about being astronauts. I said, well, how did I get that job? He said, well, if you go to test pilot school, you got a chance. So I volunteered for test pilot school in 64, after I got my master's, went to Edwards and into test pilot school. The summer of 65, I graduated uh, from there and went on to staff of the test pilot school. My boss was Chuck Yeager, very famous American test pilot, and uh, first man to fly faster than the speed of sound. And he was a great motivator. Well, I was working for him, and in August, I went to work for him. In September, I read an article in the L.A. Times that said, NASA's looking for more astronauts. Please apply. (laughs) So uh, I applied, and uh, 19 of us got picked. And so in April of 1966, uh, I went to Houston with my my wife and young, young son, Charles, who was born out at Edwards. And so we began our training in Apollo. Uh, there were 19 of us selected in that group. That made about 53, 54 astronauts. Unfortunately, we started having a series of accidents right before I got there in 65. They had uh, three guys killed in all, plane crashes. Uh, then we had another guy killed in another plane crash. Uh, then we had three guys uh, killed in an Apollo 1 fire sitting on the launch pad. Uh, and uh, one guy in an automobile accident. So anyway... I, we went to eight funerals in about a year and a half. And so uh, we had some guys grounded, some guys couldn't fly. But there was about 40 of us, 42, that were really focused on 
uh, getting us to the moon. And um, we really worked hard in this. We were focused, if you will. And uh, I can remember working 60 hours a week regularly because the schedule was pressing, if you can imagine. 18 months, we got grounded because of the fire in Kennedy Space Center in the January 67, and we didn't get everything ready to go until October 68. And so now we got a year and a half to get to the moon. Well, it turned out Apollo had nine missions to the moon. There were six landings on the moon. Uh, each landing had two guys, so there were 12 of us that walked on the moon. Uh, I was number 10, uh, the youngest guy to walk on the moon by four months. I'll be 85 this year, and I'm still the youngest guy to walk on the moon. <laughs> well, you which is really a sad deal <laughs> for the space, hit, space program. Uh, I told NASA, I'm, re- I'm still physically qualified, and I said, I'll, I'll go again. He said, don't call us, we'll call you. And <laughs> I was 36 years old when uh, I flew, and uh, John Young was my commander. We landed in the Descartes Highlands of the moon. Uh, it was a really thrilling experience, of course, you know, look out the spacecraft for the first time and see there's the Earth just suspended in the blackness of space. It was uh, breathtakingly beautiful. And you could look out another window and there was a moon out on the other way, other window. And everywhere else you look was just black. You don't see any stars in space because there's no night in space. So the sun's shining all the time. And when the sun shines, you don't see the stars. And so it's just a, this inky black space out there. And there's this jewel of Earth just suspended in the blackness of space. I found out uh, later what I saw was described in Scripture. I didn't see God. In Isaiah it says God sits enthroned above the circle of the Earth. Now I didn't see God, but I saw that circle. Twenty-four of us, the guys that went to the moon, uh, have seen that uh, with our eyes. Everybody in here has seen a picture of it. Anyway, uh, we got there, and we landed in a place called Descartes in the mountains of the moon. We had a little car called a Lunar Rover. John Young, my commander, drove it, and I was the navigator. Uh, and being on the moon was really an exciting adventure. It was very rough and rolling and uh, mostly gray in color, covered mostly with very fine uh, powder like dust, uh, with, uh, but it's actually pulverized rock. And, uh, I mean, I, can't, I never got tired of being on the moon. It was, I was just jumping up and down, you know, and what's over there? Let's go over here, you know. And, but you had a flight plan, and you had to, they kept you on the flight plan. But you would have wandered off uh, into oblivion, I guess, if you were just on your own because it was really exciting. Well, of the 12 of us walked on the moon, only four of us left alive. And uh, two of us will be 85 this year. Buzz Aldrin, I think, turns 90. And then uh, Dave Scott's the commander of Apollo 15, is 87, I think. So when I got back from the moon, I went on backup crew on Apollo 17. Uh, didn't get to fly again. Uh, but after that, in January 73, Apollo was over. And the thought occurred to me, I'm 37 years old. What are you going to do now with the rest of your life? No more flights to the moon. You know, and, and all of us were really type A or, 
we were chargers, you know, we were climbing, and we climbed a ladder of success, and we got to the top, and I had no peace, and everybody was searching around, what are we going to do now? And uh, with all this, this adventure behind us. So a lot of guys, we scattered like a covey of quail. Everybody went to different things. Uh, some people stayed on at NASA. I did for about three years working on a space shuttle. Others uh, did other things. John Glenn didn't go to the moon, but uh, he went off into business and then politics and uh, <clears throat> several other things. So anyway, we just scattered out. And in 1976, I left NASA and I, I took my eyes off the moon and put them on money. Surely money's the answer, you know. A lot of money, give you peace, you do anything you want to, have fun. And so uh, I, uh, uh, I went into business uh, in San Antonio, Texas. I love Coors Beer, and so Coors Beer was expanding into uh, South Texas. And so I said, well, I had a friend that had some money who's going to help me finance this thing. And so we applied, and we got a, a Coors Beer distributorship in San Antonio, Texas. But let me tell you, between 72 and this point, of the, which was 76, my marriage was in the tank. It was really bad. And uh, I had two sons. Uh, Charles was seven, when, almost, yeah, was seven when I went to the moon, and Tom uh, was just about five. And I love these kids, but uh, it was... Uh, you know, I was gone all the time, and so uh, they were growing up, and when I was home, uh, I was a drill instructor dad. I was hard on these kids, because I was going to make them perfect like I was, <laughs> and uh, so I was beating them into, not physically, but beating them discipline-wise into, into this perfection that I saw in these kids, and so with the marriage bad and me gone all the time now in business, and uh, uh, things got so bad that uh, uh, Dottie, had, my wife, had gone from despair to depression to thoughts of suicide. And uh, we were in church, by the way, and I'd been baptized in a Baptist church when I was 11. I can remember going to Sunday school from four years old on. Uh, my mama took us, my twin brother and me to church, and I, you know, I respected God, uh, and I'd done all of the things in church. I figured out at 11 years old in the Baptist church, if you walk down the aisle and you get baptized, they're off your back. You're in. You're in the club. And it uh, doesn't mean you know Jesus, but it means you're in the club. You're a Baptist. And so uh, uh, I continued on going to church at the Naval Academy and all through my military career. When Dottie got married... Uh, she was a cradle Episcopalian. Uh, her grandfather had been an Episcopal priest. Her, her uncle was the bishop of Atlanta and married us in the Cathedral of St. Philip's in 1963. Back then, the Diocese of Atlanta was very evangelical. Big change now in the Episcopal Church. But anyway, we were all in church, but she was lost, too. And... Uh, Fortunately, some people came to our little church in LaPorte, Texas in 75 and uh, told us about Jesus. They shared their testimonies. Ten minutes each, 20 people. And they all knew Jesus. They glowed with the love of God and the peace of God. And Dottie saw them. She said, I've tried everything but Jesus. 
By the way, there's some booklets over here, if y'all haven't, she wrote, and I think there's enough for everybody. Uh, take them back to your girlfriends or your, or your wife or somebody. And uh, it's a story about how Jesus rescued her. So in 75, she came to the Lord. And uh, I was at that meeting, but this now I'm in the process of going into business. So my mind was on business and not Jesus, that meeting. So it didn't have, I liked the people, but it didn't have much for, for me, basically. So uh, we moved to San Antonio area and where we still live, and uh, for two years I ran this beer business, made a lot of money. My wife was changed. It was amazing. Two months I watched her change from sadness to joy, which is the title of her little booklet, From Sadness to Joy. And she was off my case and uh, off my back. We weren't fighting so much, and, uh, and uh, I was really liking uh, this situation at home. But I was the same old guy. And uh, if you read her booklet, you can, I don't have time to go into what God, how God showed her to love me. And uh, we began to, uh, uh, I know, I, I began to just get frustrated with the beer business. And uh, Dottie said, well, why don't you pray about it? Well, you know, I'm a prayer book pay- prayer. You know, they Prayers are all printed in the prayer book in the Episcopal Church. And so I, was, I said, well, I don't know how to pray. She said, well, I said, why don't you pray? She prayed. She said, Lord, if you want Charlie in the beer business, give, it, uh, give him peace. If you don't want him in the beer business, make us so miserable that he sells out. <laughs> that was our prayer. And over the next, this was uh, in the fall of 1975. No, I'm sorry, 77, because I sold out in April of 78. Anyway, the money got better and better and better, but it got more and more miserable in my heart. So I make a choice. You're going to go with the money or you're going to go with peace. And so I sold out, made a lot of money, and uh, we were in Episcopal Church now in, in uh, New Braunfels, Texas, where we live, and a guy invited me to go to a Bible study at T Bar M uh, Tennis Ranch, and there's a sports camp there. And it's a very it, that part of T Bar M is a Christian side. So we went there that Bible study, and it was a sort of walk through the Bible, Jesus from Genesis to Revelations. And uh, after that weekend was over, uh, I realized I had a free will. Did I get to believe this that Jesus is the Son of God? I'm, it, he is the way, the truth, and the life, or it's a lie. It's either the truth or it isn't. We get to decide. God has given each of us a free will. And we get to decide whether it, this book is the word of God or it's a big lie. You can make up your mind. God will never interfere with your decision. And so sitting in my automobile, and this was a whole weekend now, and sitting in my automobile after that was over, weekend was over, I looked over at uh, Dottie and I said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I said, Lord, come into my life. And I, and I had this peace that I'd been searching for. It just enveloped me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I belonged to God. 
Jesus was my Savior and my Lord. I started reading the Bible. I'd made a lot of money in the business when I sold out, so I didn't have an eight-to-five job right then. So I just began to read the Bible. And I found out later in here what was happening to me is God says, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and will judge the attitudes of your heart. And God, through the Scriptures, God began to convict me of my sins Husbands, love your wives in Ephesians as Christ loved the church. God spoke to my heart and said, you don't love your wife that way. I've never heard the voice of God in my ears, but in my spirit. He said, you don't love the wife. You repent. And so I repented and we, and in tears. And God began to build our relationship on the foundation of the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And just... And now we've been in the bar ditch a lot since 1978 with our relationship. I mean, relationships get injured and hurt and everything. But God, not one promise of God has failed us. And he's led us into this incredible adventure that we're on with God. And I mean, if you want to get witness to, sit on an airplane, Dottie's next to you, you're going to hear the gospel. <laughs> We got lots of, uh, lots, like Randy said, being an astronaut, being a moonwalker, it opens a lot of doors. And so I've had opportunities to speak to presidents, kings, prime ministers, dictators, uh, bums, anybody. They want to, it just opens the door. They want to hear about what was it like on the moon. But I walk. I tell them about to walk on the moon. But then I, the most best, the best walk I've ever been on is the walk with Jesus. Walk on the moon lasted three days. This walk for Jesus is forever. And so I, we began to uh, get involved, and in uh, also in the in the scriptures, in the proverbs, God says, uh, "You have the power of life and death in your tongue." That's a powerful statement, guys. We can speak life or we can speak death. And it depends on how, what we speak, what comes out of our mouth, whether we are speaking life or death. And God told me that I had cursed my own children. Now, I don't mean profanity. Back in those days, I used that enough. But that's not what the Bible, I'm convinced that's not what the Bible's talking about. It does say no unclean talk come out of your mouth. But when you tell your son, son, you're stupid. I put a curse on my son with the words out of my mouth. And he was becoming exactly what I spoke. And so I repented in tears. Tom was 11. And uh, Charles, his oldest brother, older brother, was 13. I went to him. I said, in tears, boys, forgive me. I want to speak life. I want to be the dad that God wants me to be. Tom looked up and said, that's okay, Dad. And we began to build that relationship in Christ. A year later, they both came to the Lord. Now, they'd been baptized as kids, as infants in Episcopal Church, but they wanted to be, they gave their life to Christ. I got to baptize them in the Jordan River. So our, our 
our family began to grow together, and uh, we began to see the power of God in our lives as we read the Bible. Uh, God began to speak to me about money. Do, Psalm 49, do not be impressed when a man grows rich because he'll take nothing with him when he dies. And God's given a lot of us a lot of money. And how are we going to use what he's given us to the glory of God? I mean, I used to tip God. You know, here's five bucks every Sunday or whatever. <laughs> Maybe 50 bucks every Sunday. You know, just pittance. And God spoke to me and says, tithe, tithe, tithe. I mean, that's a lot of money. And so I asked Dottie, so why don't you pray about what God wants us to, <laughs> wants to do? And, uh, and she came back a couple, couple of weeks later and said, uh, God spoke to me. So I was, what did he say? He said, tithe. <laughs> and when we started tithing, we gave away the love of money. God has blessed us financially. I think he can, if God can trust you with money, and, and you do, look at the people of the Old Testament. They were all wealthy, but they knew how to serve God. So we, I guess both of us, we slowly began to hear the voice of God. And I wanted to be obedient. And God began to, I guess I was like peeling an onion, I guess. There were some things in my heart I didn't even know were there. But God knew they weren't right. And so the, the biggies, he, he began to deal right away. And it was like my sins were dragging behind me, if you will. I, I guess I really, you know, I wasn't a murderer. I wasn't a rapist. But I had sins in my life, sins against my wife, my kids, my thoughts. And I was doing pretty good, pretty good until about 15 years ago. I think I shared this with you guys before. It pornography raised its head. That's a trap, guys. Somebody told me, that pornography, maybe just sin in general, but pornography will lead you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So I urge you, it's, it's, if you're involved like I was, it was almost, I was almost trapped. But fortunately, God showed Dottie. And we confronted it, and repentance came, and so we're free. But it come, things, the devil is out to attack you in your weakest area. He knows where your weakest area is. So as we begin to grow, we begin to uh, get opportunity. I remember one time my how do you hear the voice of God? Is this really you, God? I can remember uh, my mom called me. I had a first cousin 
that was uh, lived in South Carolina, and she was uh, pregnant, and uh, <clears throat> her first child, and was about to lose this baby. And my mother said, "Pray for Betty." I said, "I'll pray for Betty." So as I began to pray for Betty, God, I felt God speak to my heart. Says, "Go pray for Betty." That's twelve hundred miles. <clears throat> But it was just, God, is that really you? Go pray for Betty. And uh, all of a sudden, Gideon comes to mind. Gideon said, God, if this is really you, I'm going to put this fleece on the ground. Give me a sign. If it's wet, I'll, and if drowns dry, whatever it was, I'll go. But Gideon wanted confirmation. Well, I'm going to put the fleece on the ground again. So I threw out my fleece. I'm driving to Austin. I said, Lord, if, if the big red truck comes over that next hill, I'll go see Betty. Big red truck comes over the hill. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think maybe I ought to go, Lord. But it have another big red truck come over the hill or yellow truck, whatever it was. And there it came. So I, got, I bought a plane ticket. I flew to South Carolina to Charleston and drove up to uh, Polly's Island where she was with her mom. And I <clears throat> knocked on the door and her mama came to the door and said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm coming to pray for Betty. Oh, she's real bad shape. You can't. We, let's pray. I said, Dude, I, drove, I came 1,200 miles to pray for Betty. We're going to go pray for Betty. So I walked in, and Betty, I said, God sent me to pray for you. She starts sobbing. She said, I've been praying for four days that God has sent somebody, and you're the person. <laughs> Obedience to God. Little things like that. Cost me a plane ticket, but it changed her life. I thought she was going to have the baby and all. She lost the baby. That wasn't my plan, but that was God's plan. Now she has two beautiful daughters, granddaughters. This was a long time ago. Anyway, hearing the voice of God. I was praying about UFOs. <clears throat> this 25 years ago. And I had this impression that UFOs were demonic manifestations. I mean, how can a human, whether it's extraterrestrial or not, 3,000 miles an hour make a 90-degree turn? The G level is astronomical. So I, I, I had this impression they're demonic. And I'd, I'd share this with people, and they'd look at me real strange, you know, and shake their heads, poor Charlie, or whatever they were thinking. <laughs> so I, I said to God, I said, Lord, if this is true, have Newman Payton start talking about UFOs tomorrow at breakfast. Next morning... There's Newman sitting at the table. He says, Charlie, come on over. I want to talk about UFOs. This guy's a businessman. So I believe God confirmed to me that UFOs are demonic manifestations to pull us away from the true God. That's 
what I believe God has shown me. Think of G, uh, one more example. I was at a full gospel businessman's fellowship meeting a long time ago. And I was up on the stage, and there's a kid over here in a wheelchair. And God said, I, I felt God said in my heart, jump off the stage and go and you go over there and lay hands on him, I'll heal him. Not me, God. I'm not going to embarrass myself jumping off this stage. And I didn't do it. I was not obedient. Later on, I was just thinking about this. You know, God speaks to us sometimes in, in, in ways that wants us to do things that are, don't make any sense in the natural. But Jesus heard the voice of God. And he followed his instructions explicitly. Spit on the ground, Jesus. Make some paste. Put it on the guy's eyes. He did it. And the guy came home sealing after he washed. Can you imagine God speaking to you and say, this man's blind, but if you'll spit on the ground... And make some paste. I'll heal him. I had a friend that God said at this meeting, he says, you get on your hands and knees and you crawl around this building on your hands and knees. And when you get to that person, pray for him and I'll heal him. He did. Will we be obedient to the voice of God? And I know it's hard to do those kind of things, guys, but God's given us a way. Signs, cast lots, uh, get other people to pray for you. And uh, miracles that, that, that we can see God. And last night I thought that, that talk uh, by the pastor, was Ethan, was really strong. Stand. I believe we as men have got to take a stand in America for the biblical principles that we know are the foundation, thank you very much, Ken, are the foundation of our country. We need to take a stand, put on the full armor of God, and take a stand for what we know is right. And we got to do that in love. And I mean, it, it, we're not going to convince anybody to run out and ask, you're a sinner, buddy. You got to change your ways. That won't work. But if we do it, it the story of Jesus, <clears throat> when they brought the, they brought the uh, woman committing adultery, caught in the act of adultery. Jesus says, you with who, without sin, you throw the first stone. Not one stone was thrown. Jesus didn't accept her sin, but in love, he says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. So that's the uh, attitude we need to have. Two minutes. <laughs> I had a friend told a story about uh, 
he's going with his pastor around, called and knocking on doors. And, uh, and they went in to see this guy, and, and they, they told him the gospel story, and he says, well, I might want to come to church and, and hear some more. But I love to play golf on Sunday morning. If I become a Christian, do I have to stop playing golf? pastor says, yes, you do. I'm not going to become a Christian. They've left. I can't find in the Bible where it says you can't play golf on Sunday morning. God will convict that guy of, that he needs to go to church. So we've we got to be careful, guys, about how we approach our friends we can't be judgmental or we can't be authoritarian necessarily. We just need to share the truth in love and take a stand and say, this is what's happened to me. And every one of you has a story. If you know Jesus, let me tell you what happened to me. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you for uh, opportunities you give us as you bring people and circumstances into our path, into our lives, Lord. And Lord, may we hear your voice clearly. And may we be obedient to your voice, Lord. And may we take a stand, Lord, for the gospel and for you. And may we do that with love in our hearts, Lord, for those who are in darkness. God, they don't even know they're in darkness. But, Lord, through love, that you have given us for everyone, then we pray, Lord, that the manifestation of your love and your grace and your mercy and your power would shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, guys. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.